I heard a story this week about an older woman, someone who had been a child in World War II, who was asleep in her living room on a comfortable chair. And all of a sudden, she hears tins in her kitchen being rattled around. <coughs> so she gets up. Now remember, she's an old lady. But she goes over to the fireplace and picks up a poker. Raises it up. And goes to the kitchen. Where she finds a child looking for something to eat. And after much questioning and putting down the poker and feeding the child, he finally tells her his name. And she said, I knew your father. His father had been an Italian prisoner of war and like a number in the camp had ended up marrying a local girl. And she had been friends with the boy's mother. But in the story, which I'm not going to tell you all the details, all of the memories that that name brought back come flooding into her mind. And for many of us, there are names that have stories behind them that all you have to do is say the name and it's there. I want us today, we're going to look at the power of names in their story. And there's, in this simple passage that Stuart read, there are five names that I want us to look at and think about. Because when I studied this passage, when I prayed over and I began to look at it and say, okay, how do you, why is this story written the way it's written? And then I thought about the stories of names, that names have stories, so that when it starts off in verse 11, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be, would there have been for another priest to arise rather than the one after the order of Aaron? See, the question is about perfection and the Levites. Now, Levi was a, now remember this, Levi was the grandson of Abraham. Aaron, 400 years after the family goes down, Jacob, Levi's father, goes down to Egypt. 400 years later, Aaron is called to be a priest after the whole tribe is set aside to serve God because they stand up in a challenge. And so the priests that come after Aaron, the, Le the Levites who do not have their own land but are spread out among the people. Think about that identity that a Levite would have had. He, he's not somebody that... They have their own clan space, but they're spread out. They're spread out like salt among all of Israel. But the passage says they couldn't deliver perfection. Now, one of the things in 
studying the religions of Scotland before Christianity and thinking about how Christianity answered that, I looked at it in the light of the Levites because the Levites had more than a millennium and a half, 1,500 years of service. And so what are they marked by? They're marked by repetition. Every day, night and day. And then the seasonal ones, and then the, the sacrifices that individual families bring. The tithes and offerings that people bring seasonally when there, when there is a harvest. Year after year after year after year, decade, century. It's repetitive. And see, that's one of the identifying marks of Jesus Christ as the great high priest is it's once for all. We're going to get into that. We're leading into that. But when we think about the Levites, they were faithful in their calling to be repetitive reminders of God's grace to their generation. But they weren't the answer. You see, I think sometimes we, we need to realize that God's answer isn't our answer, and sometimes when we do things over and over and over again, we wonder why, when we come back to Christ, he dies on a cross, not on an altar. He is the priest who is also the sacrifice. When we think about Levi. Now, I want to, in my transition to my next name, Think about Jesus' mother, Mary. The only thing we're told about her is that she was a, a relative, and the word that's used for relative there, because sometimes they want to shift it to cousin, it doesn't mean cousin, it means relative, but it means in a broad relationship, you know, is it a first cousin, second cousin, third cousin? doesn't say. But what do we know about Mary is that she was a relative of who? Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And Elizabeth, Luke tells us, was a daughter of Aaron. See, I think it's very interesting that God does not give us the lineage of Mary. There is this relationship with another woman in terms of family. Because when it comes down to Jesus and Judah, which is in this passage, because it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah in connection with the, that tribe, Moses had nothing, said nothing about priests. Why was he connected with Judah? He was adopted into Judah. Joseph, who was... You know, look at Matthew and you have this genealogy. And it's interesting, you know, I've seen some of these on BBC. You see these historical documents where you have all these little patents and things put on there. You think about all the names that are given about get us to, Jew, to Joseph, who the text tells us very clearly is not the biological father of Jesus. So Jesus is adopted into the tribe of the kings. Now, you remember when I spoke about 
Abraham and Sarah, how they were adopted and their names were changed. And the idea of adoption was something that God uses in his grace to make sure that we know that it's in his grace. And so when we think about that Jesus Christ was adopted into the tribe of Judah, what does that tell people who are marginal, people who have no memory of a past or anything like that, to know that Christ is someone, by God's grace, was fulfilling what God was going to do. And then when we talk about the adoption, the most visible person that was adopted was Jesus Christ. Think about that. Think about how God's grace, even in that tiny child that was there, that Joseph was not willing to shun her because he knew that child is not mine. from a woman who we don't have a pedigree. But God can use someone who from a worldly standpoint has no background, has no status, except that God says, you are my servant, you are my daughter. And I'm going to use you to change the world. You know, we have David as the the symbol of Judah. But we know that the line of Judah was going to come to an end when the Messiah came. And that Messiah is Jesus Christ. And what have I been saying for the last two to three weeks about this discussion about Christ as the high priest, about Jesus as the high priest, even though he's a king? You need to see him as a king who wears the robes of a priest, not of a king. And then you have Moses. Now, Moses is a name that brings up all kinds of stories. I mean, Moses is almost a Sunday school curriculum in his own thing. The stories you tell about Moses, you know, the baby in the basket in the river, I've seen and been in a boat on the Nile River, and I thought about that. Wow, this is quite a river to have a little child go out. But yet he grows up, and he becomes a very prominent person who then defends somebody and is exiled, and then he comes back, and he leads his people out of out. But of course... From Israel's perspective, it's not the leadership so much as that, as the text says, Moses said that he was a prophet. And other prophets like him would arise. That God could speak to a generation, God could speak to us through the written word of God. Moses said. And I think that's one of the things, as this text points out, is that we need to be guided by the word of God and realize that God is preparing us for something. And that's why we look at what God has given us and we see how it grows from generation to generation to generation. Because we come now to Melchizedek. Remember what I said about Melchizedek? He is a shadow from the previous text of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is this man who comes on the scene, receives the tithes, blesses Abraham, and then disappears. He says, that's who Jesus is like. He's a priest that God has appointed. Now, we are going to see again and again, as we continue through the book, there's going to be two major chunks of scripture that we'll deal with. It's the high priest and the new covenant. It's the high priest and the once and for all sacrifice. Those are going to be important things because remember the purpose of the book of Hebrews is to keep people faithful, to introduce them to Jesus Christ so that they want to stay in love with Christ, that they are willing to stand up. Because what's happening, imagine if you're, if you're a Jew and you had been taught from childbirth that you've got to go to the temple. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. And all of a sudden, all of that changes in this one person, Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes I think we don't understand when we offer Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our family members, how radical that gift of salvation in his once and for all atonement on the cross, how hard that is for some people because they they have this way of thinking that all of a sudden you're asking them to turn it upside down, to turn it around, to get rid of things, bring in new things. So all of a sudden Jesus is being talked about as a Melchizedek that was this little 15-minute character in Exodus in Genesis rather 14, and then in the Psalms, and, and now here. The last name is in verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. Our Lord. I am struck by the way the writer pastorally reaches out to his people in a simple word of our. Do you see how that word our connects the readers to the writer? Connects us to each other? That it's not my Lord, it's our Lord. See, that's one of the things about the covenant and about what Christ was doing was he was doing it for God's people, keeping God's people together, that he was buying their salvation. And so it's our Lord. Now, in a day and age where people struggle with loneliness, with isolation, the idea that Christianity brings people together both as an idea as well as what we see here today together in worship, and then hopefully beyond worship, beyond Sunday, into relationships through the week. I I just can't get over that simple little three-letter English word, our. It's a sense of ownership. We're part of who he is. He's part of who we are. Our Lord. See, when I I say that, and I think about my prayer life, I think about 
other parts of my life, it's like I'm not alone because it's our Lord. It's not just my Lord. And see, we live in a culture that wants us to think about, you know, what's the stuff I'm going to own? What's the stuff I'm going to have? And here is Christians... When we worship, when we gather, when we serve, it's because we have a common Lord. Now, you all know I love you, so I'm going to push you. And I've had conversations with some of you about this. I know that Scottish people are very private, that they're introverts. But do you see how this simple word pushes us into a community? It's our Lord. I've got to get out of my little world and become part of his world, our Lord. And sometimes that's hard. But it's can you see Jesus Christ in another Christian? Can you see God's Holy Spirit among a group of people, not just a single person, not just your friends or your family? I was a part of a church that after we had baptized three infants, this one woman complained. He says, I only know one of the parents. We're getting too big. I can't know everybody. And I challenged her. I said, the object of the church is not for you to know everybody, but for everybody to know Christ and for us to know each other. So when I think about our Lord, I think about that word gathering us together in Christ, using that word Lord. And of course, that word Lord is something that Paul, when he was describing about becoming a Christian... Part of the profession of faith was saying that Jesus is Lord, that he is in charge, that he is sovereign, that he is a king. I'm not in charge of my own life when we say our Lord, that who is he, who is Jesus? There are a lot of things in our culture, in our lives, in our communities Sometimes we have to go back and look at it and say, is that what Jesus really wants? If he is the Lord of my life. Because what we find is that Christianity and relationship with people is messy. It's frustrating. We're going to disappoint each other. But he's the Lord. See, if I just take him as an accessory that, oh, it's nice to go to church, it's nice to say the prayers, it's nice to read scripture and not say he's Lord, that he is in charge of my life, my money, my emotional life, my fantasies, all that I have. Our Lord. Community and lordship, it's there. Now, You look at Jesus as a high priest. He doesn't serve at an altar. He's from the wrong tribe. You see how God uses that to remind us that God can use whoever he wants for his ministry. And I've picked out a couple of of things. This high priest became a once and for all sacrifice. 
Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? That they're forgiven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you? Or do you have things in the back of your mind of, oh, I can't, you know, I can't let that out of the shadows. I can't let that ghost loose. And what weighs you down and wears you down because you have not allowed the blood of Christ, that high priest who becomes a sacrifice to cover your sins. Now last week, I think it was, we looked at this where Jesus throws the anchor into the Holy of Holies. Do you, in your own imagination, do you see yourself being able to go into the Holy of Holies in the very presence of God? That that is part of what Christ brings you to, is to be in the presence of God? That no matter where you are. See, that's one of the things that, that... kind of explodes with Christ, is you don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. You don't have to go to one temple. We are the temple of God. You have this intimacy with God, and part of that intimacy, because you are with a holy God, is that you want to be like him, and you want to be holy and righteous. The next thing that priests do is they intercede. We will say again and again that prayer is an important identifier for any church. That we need to be like Christ and Christ was an intercessor. Christ is an intercessor. We need to be praying together. We need to be praying to God daily in our own lives. Different people have different programs, and and I want prayer to be personal. I want you to have a sense of when you come in and pray, you are in the very presence of God, and Christ is taking your intercessions to the very presence of God, that you are in the holiest of holies as you intercede. Another thing that we'll look at that is a whole series of sermons, passages in Scripture, is where priests are to care for the poor, they are care for the law, and they are care for Scripture. I mean, think about that. This was a class of literate people many of whom would have written out long parts of Scripture, many of whom would have perhaps memorized all of Scripture. You see, in our our culture today, memorizing large quantities of information seems unbelievable, but yet back then people could remember everything. You know, I think about my own little head. When I was in the first grade, I think I've told you this story, but I'll tell it again. I memorized more memory verses than anybody else in the first grade in our church. I remember when I memorized the entire Shorter Catechism. Now somewhere along that line, probably when I moved to California and all that kind of stuff, I stopped memorizing, but yet it was there. And so now I know that, okay, 
Got to pay attention. So that's why I read more of Scripture so I keep my, my mind in the Word of God. When I was thinking about, okay, how does Mary fit into this? Even though she's not mentioned, she is the mother, but yet there's no pedigree. You see, sometimes we, we live in a world where we think you have to have a pedigree to do something. You have to have permission rather than God saying, I am going to use you to change the world or the people around you. Do you believe God can do that, can make you a priest to intercede, to care for the people that you know in your lives, to be like Jesus? We're going to continue to use a, another overused word. We're going to continue to unpack the book as we learn more about Jesus. But yet as we learn about Jesus, it's going to come close into your hands. Just like I say, okay, look at your Scottish life and say, can I say our Lord? Can I be a part of a community that acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord of my life? Can I let others into my life as I let the Holy Spirit into my life? I think for some people, the idea of the Holy Spirit coming into your life scares them more than the Jesus Christ coming into their lives. Because we want to hide. Because that's the way we've been trained by our culture and our community and our families. But we're given a priest to follow. We're given a priest that has history with Levi, with Judah, Melchizedek. In our present moment of Christianity and history, for some there is this great emphasis on the kingship of Christ, but I think that they miss what Hebrews tells us about the kingship of Christ is that he is dressed in the robe of a priest. He is interceding. He is leading us into the presence of God. He is personally caring for us. When we pray to have our sins forgiven, remember what repentance is? Repentance is confessing our sins. It's only part of it. And turning to be like Christ, the great high priest. Let us pray.